Ephesians chapter 3. I think we need the Bible more than ever now. Um, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read at verse 14. Paul is introducing a prayer to the church at Ephesus. And as we start our journey on prayer for the next three weeks, my hope is that we would also embrace this prayer and begin to pray this prayer for one another so that Christ might make room for us to receive all that he would have us to know and learn about prayer over the next few weeks. So listen to Paul's prayer as he prays for the church at Ephesus. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this church. Father, as we enter this conversation about prayer, we recognize little prayer, little power, a lot of prayer, a lot of power, no prayer, no power. So God, would you stir our hearts and give us a passion for prayer? Father, as we open up your word and as we are formed by your word, your children have gathered together to listen. So would you speak, O oh Lord, like only you can. Tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 It is a blessing to be in, back with my family here at Willow. Um, amen. It is a blessing to be back. And this... What I'm, what I'm sharing with you today, the Lord's been stirring this prayer in me. Uh, so when I, when I found out we were going to be talking about prayer, I said, I got to share this prayer with them. I've got to share it because it's not only been shaping me, it's been shaping our church. And it's my prayer, as Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus, I want to speak corporately to the church here at Willow. But you also notice that it's corporate, but it's also personal. So I also want to speak personally to your families. And I want to encourage you, if you would adopt the prayer, I'm going to give you the prayer to pray. 
uh, for you to sh- that, that'll shape you this week, that'll shape you as we go into this series. I want to start the series on prayer by giving you a prayer to pray. And here's the prayer. Um, and, 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 and three big things I want you to pray for one another and for our church family over the next three weeks as we journey and begin to understand the power of prayer in our life. Paul says in response to what God has already done, chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians, it's talking all about how Christ has done a work in them. They were dead but now made alive. They were far off, now brought near. There was a wall of division separating them, but now the wall has come down and they are reconciled as one people, one people of God. They are celebrating all that God has done inside of them. And then Paul says, for this cause, I got to get on my knees. God has done so much, I, and God wants to do so much that I got to start praying that you might be ready for what God is going to do. Implication, God's not done. He's really just getting started. And when he starts, you need to be ready for the more that God is about to bring in your life. Willow, I just want you to know, we can stop and we can see the faithfulness of God in this place. We can see the power of God's hand. He's keeping us. He's preserving us. Not only that, but he's about to propel us into a great future. And we got to get ready for what God is about to do. I I just need you to understand he's not done with you. He's not finished. This in your last lap. We're not wrapping up a good season. Y'all, we just getting started with a good season. God is about to do a great work in this place. If you believe it, you ought to give God some glory right there, right there, right there. He's not done. And as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, I want to pray for you. We got to get ready for what God's about to do. We're about to start praying intentionally, focusing on prayer. We got to get ready. And prayer is a preparation. Prayer isn't just a request. It's just not a transactional exchange. No, through prayer, he forms us. He prepares us. He gets us ready for when it's to come. I feel like T.D. Jakes this morning. Turn around and tell three people, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Turn, turn around and tell them. Y'all sitting there looking at me. Turn around in the mezzanine. Tell them. Say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Listen, this guy wants to do something in your family. Get ready. God's going to do something in your life. Get ready. And God is going to do something in this church. Get ready. Paul says, I'm praying this. This is, what, this is what I'm praying, and this is what we need to be praying. Number one, he says, I'm praying that the, that the Spirit of God... The Spirit of God will prepare your heart, will will prepare you in your innermost being, prepare you for what's to come. That the Holy Spirit would get your heart ready for what's to come. Implication, your heart naturally ain't ready for this. It has to be prepared. So he's saying, I pray that you would get your heart prepared for what is to come. It's kind of like a... Never forget, we got ready to sell our house. It's kind of like a, 
a realtor. Uh, a realtor will come in and they look at and evaluate your house and they say, I want to put it on the market. But then they do this thing right before they put it on the market. Let me tell you something. It's low-key offensive. I was almost offended when the lady did this. She said, okay, before we put it on the market, we need to <clears throat> stage your house. I said, stage my house? I don't know. What, what, you, what you mean, stage my house? She said, oh, 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 yeah, it's when we come in and we, we set the house up so it, can, so it can be prepared to sell. So we want to move some furniture, take some stuff out. I said, ho, 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 hold on. Look around, honey. My house is already staged. Look at this. My house is staged. What you, what you mean, change my furniture around? She said, oh, no, 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 Albert, Albert. I mean, this is great for your family, and that was cute. But, but we've got to get it ready for the people that are, are coming in. We gotta, we gotta get it ready for who's to come. And, and this, this ain't, this ain't ready for new sellers. This was great for you. But I, I said, what, what are you talking about? Like this furniture is great. This couch right here, this was my Aunt Bessie's couch. My Aunt Bessie gave me this couch 30 years ago. It's practically brand new. Look, the plastic is still on it. It looks great. Oh, come on. Anybody know what it is to have furniture with plastic still on it? Am I the only one up in here? Said the plastic on this cup, this furniture is great. She says, "No, Albert. See, see, <laughs> she says, says you, you need an external perspective to help you understand the the house fits you well, but I'm not here to make the house comfortable for you. I'm here to make the house comfortable for the one that is to come, and the one that is to come, this ain't gonna match what they want. I mean, honestly, Albert, your stuff in here don't even match each other." Um, <laughs> You, you got stuff from one century, you got contemporary, modern, and then you got mid-century over here. Your furniture don't even agree. Every time you walk out the room, your furniture arguing with one another. They not on one accord at all. So we need to bring some stuff in here that match because the current decor does not match the, the themes and the design of the one that is to come. Uh, Y'all get it early, I won't have to preach as long. You see where I'm going with this? Paul says, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and stage your heart. That he would stage your heart in the innermost being so that your spirit, your soul, your heart will match the things of the one that is to come. Jesus is coming and I got to get your heart ready so that Jesus will come in and it'll match. Because you got stuff in here right now that ain't going to match with Jesus. That attitude of bitterness, that ain't going to match the kindness of Jesus. That pornography and that lust, that's not going to match the holiness of Jesus. That greed and self-righteousness, that's not going to match the humility of Jesus Christ. So I got to do some redecorating up in here, child. I got to take some stuff down. I got to take some stuff out and put in the fruit of the Spirit because that's what's going to match Jesus that is to come. So Paul says, I pray. That you would allow the Holy Spirit to come in and stage your heart, to stage your heart. Uh, Paul prays it in Ephesians 3. Jesus displays it in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, there's this vision uh, where Jesus shows us this idea of what Paul is talking about. Um, Jesus is there and he's teaching and he sees over to the side some fishermen, and they're washing their nets. Well, you got to understand, <clears throat> this is the top of the morning. And the text says in Luke chapter 5 that they had been fishing all night. A good fisherman knows that the best time to fish is at night because everything is shh, quiet. 
But after all night of fishing, they caught nothing. Let, let me tell you something. If you're a fisherman and you've been out there all night and you catch nothing, when Jesus sees them, the Bible says that they were literally washing their nets. This was a moment that was significant in their journey because after all night of fishing and they are fishermen and they haven't caught any fish, what does that say about them? And at some point they got to conclude, out of all my efforts, out of all my trying, I can't do it. I can't catch anything. And you come to the side and you begin to wash your nets, which means you have come to the end of yourself. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm giving up for the night. I think there's something spiritually significant there because I think there comes a point in our journey with Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit's truly going to have full control, and if they're going to have full authority to rearrange some stuff in our life, we ultimately have got to get out of the way and say, I've got to wash my nets. I've got to come to the end of myself. I've got to say, I don't have the ability to do it. I can't do it, so I'm washing my nets. At some point, you've got to step back. You've got to look at Unbessie's couch with the plastic still on it and say, take it. I'm going to miss it. Ouch! I cut myself on the plastic. <clears throat> but at some point, the Holy Spirit says, I got to take it. At some point, friends, as believers of Jesus Christ, in order for us to fully surrender, we got to wash our nets, come to the end of ourselves, and say, Lord, I can't do it. I tried to do it in my own strength, but I can't do it. I'm washing my nets. I tried to save my marriage in my own power and in my own strength, but I can't do it, so I'm washing my nets. I've tried to control and manage these kids in my own power, but I can't do it, so I'm washing my nets. I've tried to walk holy and not deal in lust, but Lord, I can't do it in my own power. I'm washing my nets. I've tried to control and fix things, but Lord, I can't do it. It's when you hit the spiritual brick wall and you recognize that your life in your hands is limited, but your life in the hands of God is supernaturally empowered. You've got to come to the end of your ability, your self-preservation and say, God, I can't do it, so I am washing my nets. I am surrendering to you, and I am saying, I've got to come come up with something bigger than myself because I fished all night and I hadn't accomplished anything, so I'm washing my nets. I pray. This is my prayer for you. My prayer, and I want us to pray this for one another. That We'd invite the Holy Spirit to come in and stage our hearts and that we would wash our nets and surrender to the power and the authority of God in our life. That you would say, I'm done trying to save me I need an external force to come in and do internally what I cannot do on my own. I'm washing my nets. Washing my nets. Washing my nets. Second prayer, second prayer. He says, the Holy Spirit will come in your innermost being and prepare your heart, watch this, so that Christ might dwell in in you. The Holy Spirit's job is to come and prepare the way so that Christ might dwell 
in you. Now, here's the thing. The word dwell there doesn't mean the idea of, of visiting or, or, or just coming by for a little while. No, the, the word dwell there, it translates, it's the idea of Christ sitting down in you. He says, I pray that Christ would sit down in you. Now, now the interesting thing about Christ sitting down in you is that he's at the end of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. Who he just said they were dead but now alive, far off but now brought near by the power of God. These are believers. These are Christians. Why is Christ just now sitting down at the end of chapter 3? He should have been sitting down the whole time. Why is he talking to believers about Christ dwelling in them? Ain't Christ already in them? Oh, Paul is making a distinction. He's saying you can understand Christ, but still not know Christ. You can, you can have a clear doctrinal understanding of the work that he's done in your life. You can have a full intellectual perspective on the workings of his doctrine and how it moves in the spirit of your life. You can understand it. You can read about it. You can sing about it. But if you haven't experienced it, you still don't know it. He says it's a difference between you understanding Christ and Christ actually sitting down in you and dwelling in you. So he's saying, I'm praying that not only that the Holy Spirit prepares the way, but that Christ would dwell in you, would dwell, would sit down, would stay a while, get, get comfortable in there, and get to a place to where he's unmovable and fully sustaining who you are. Amen? God says, it's like this, my mama, my mama had the gift of hospitality. I grew up in Mississippi. She had the gift of hospitality. Y'all, she'd be hospitable. And when people would come to her house, it was her, it was her passion that they would feel comfortable in the house. It was her passion that they would feel comfortable in the house. And if they didn't feel comfortable, she would be uncomfortable. It was a whole thing. So after a while, if somebody came and they were just still kind of standing up and not making themselves at home, she'll look at them. She'll say, sit down, sit down, honey. Make yourself at home. Come on, sit down. And she, she'd tell you to sit down. You know, but if after a while, you still kind of, you know, uncomfortable. She'd do this whole thing. I don't know if anybody else did. She would actually, she'd go off. She'd say, Sit, sit down, honey. You're making me nervous. You're making me nervous. Anybody else, mama, get nervous based off of somebody else's action? And I don't know if she, she take a pill or what. I don't know. But she's like, they're like, you're making me nervous. And what Paul is saying, Jesus needs to sit down in your life. He needs to be at home in your life. He needs to be comfortable in your life of space. And if Jesus ain't sitting down in your life, you ought to be nervous. You ought to be nervous if the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is not enthroned in your heart and in your life. He says it's one thing to understand him. It's another thing for you to know him. You need to know him. He needs to, to dwell in your heart. You need to know him. It's, it's kind of like, y'all, y'all not getting it. I can tell. Let me, let me see if I can say it another way. It's kind of like, like fried chicken. And this ain't about Chick-fil-A or Popeye's, but this is... If, you, it's, if you've never tasted fried chicken... Y'all, let me tell you something. I can explain it. I can talk about the, the intensity of the flavors uh, in the batter when you season it with Larry's seasoned salt. Um, and you put it together and you, you put the egg in the, in the batter so that it sticks and comes together. And you stir it together and then you dip the chicken in it. And then at the right temperature, you drop the, the, the battered chicken into that golden oil and the sh- 
the fresh impact that that makes in the crystallizing of the chicken and the, and, and, and the breading as it comes together and it comes out a crisp golden brown. And as that golden brown flakes hit the plate, I can explain to you the explosive palate celebration that happens the moment my teeth break off the crispy crunch of the chicken. And as it moves around as, as a sweet savor in my mouth, chicken and, and, and meat and morsels and seasoning breaking together in my palate as it then trickles down my esophagus to come to a great welcome home party in the bottom of my stomach where they begin to celebrate popping bottles. It feels like a warm blanket has just covered your whole soul. I can talk about chicken. I can explain it, but it pales in comparison to actually tasting chicken. In, in other words, I can explain it, I can talk about it, I can sing songs about it, but really what I'm saying is ultimately you have to own, taste, and see that the chicken is good. What? What Paul is saying is people can talk about God and, understand, and try to talk, but until he sits down in you, you haven't tasted the fullness of what God is. Listen, you can talk about being healed. You can read about being healed. You can understand other people's challenges about being healed. But when you get sick and the healer sits down in you, then you know that God is a healer. You, you can talk about being broke. You can read read about being broke. You can understand other people being broke, but when you ain't got no money in your pocket and you got bills due and somehow your bills still end up getting paid, when the provider sits down in you and makes a way, then you know he is a provider. If God has ever sat down in your life, if he's ever made a way for you, you ought to give him some praise right now and say, thank you for sitting down for sitting down in me, for dwelling in me. He says, he says, I want you to know that Christ has come and he desires to dwell in you. He, he desires to dwell in you. Watch this. He says, when I sit down in you, he says, I'm praying that you would know how high, how deep, how long, and how wide my love is for you. He says, when I sit down in you, I'm going to root you in love. And I'm going to, listen to, what, listen to how they describe it. How deep, how long, how wide. Doesn't it sound like a stretching class? Doesn't it sound like, it sounds like yoga, doesn't it? Is this, he says, because I'm going to get inside of you and I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to stretch, I'm going to make room in you. I want to show you how high my love is. Because to be honest, my love in your life has a really low ceiling. Because of your insecurity because of your wounds, because of your failure, you don't really feel that I love you that much. You don't feel the love of God because your self-worth is really low. So what I want to do is I want to raise the ceiling of my love. I want you to know how high I value you, how much I love you. I want you to see that my love is so high it's higher, and you don't have to shrink when it comes to my love. You don't have to bow and bend when it comes to my love because of your insecurity. You can stand in confidence in my love. Type A personalities, I'm not going to fall. I practice this. I'm okay. He says, I want, I, I want you to understand so that way you can stand in confidence 
You have, this, you have this brokenness about you that causes you to bow your head. I want you to lift up your head, my daughter. Lift up my head. Lift up your head, my son. You walk in shame because of your past, but my love will tell you I've loved you beyond your brokenness, beyond your failure, beyond your guilt, beyond your shame. Lift up your head and walk in the fullness. I want you to know how high my love is. Not only that, but I want you to know, see, I told you I was going to make it. I want you to know, I want you to know how deep my love is. Because there's some things that have been repressed down in the deep, in the darkness, in secrets, in hiding, in shame. And there's some things tucked away. And I want to reach down. My love wants to get down in the dark places. And I want to show you how deep my love is. Not only that, I want to show you how, how wide, how wide my love is. And I, and, and I know you got a certain amount of capacity, but I want to stretch. I want to stretch. My love goes beyond, way beyond what your arms can reach. See, your, your, love, your love can only reach so far. It, it reaches just, it comes just shy of your mother-in-law. It just, it, just, it just right, it cuts off right before it gets to her. You don't have much capacity. It just cuts off right there. But see, when, when you live in my love, my love will stretch your arms. My love will stretch you. It'll go as far as your eyes can see. My love would be that wide. That way, this Thanksgiving, you can really hug her and not want to choke her. You could just really hug her and just love her and say, welcome, mother-in-law. Welcome. Thank you, Jesus. Don't try me. The Lord's still working on me, but welcome. Welcome. <laughs> he, says, he says, my love, it'll stretch you. I'm, I'm stretching you. He says, how long, my love? My love is so long, I don't care how far away you are from God. Some of you, you, you drifted far from God. You can't drift so far to where his long love can't reach you. His long love. He says, I want to stretch you. I want to help you to see. And in that stretching, it's hard. It's challenging. Let me tell you something. Uh, anybody go to the gym? Anybody go to the gym? The one time I went, um, <clears throat> I went that one time, and, and I went in there, and y'all, we were just stretching, and we stretched for like 30 minutes. It's just stuff and pulling stuff and moves and stuff. After 30, after, I mean, like 30 minutes, I'm sweating. I'm done. I get ready to grab my towel, wrap up. He's like, all right, well, now we got that out of the way. Let's start the workout. Let's start the workout? What was that for the last 30 minutes? I'm about to pass out. I can't do nothing else. God says, before I start doing, before, before we start working out this stuff, I got to stretch you. I got to stretch you to get you ready. Uh, Paul Paul prays it in Ephesians. Jesus displays it in Luke chapter 5. After they wash the nets, he sees him washing his nets. And Jesus calls over to the man and he says, I want to speak to the crowd, but I want to get out from among them so I can have a bigger bandwidth. And he looks at him and he says, can I use your boat so that I might deliver my message? Simon invites Jesus in his, into his boat, and Jesus uses Simon's boat to deliver his message. That's the prayer. The boat is a metaphor for our life. What does it mean for us to invite Jesus into our life so that his message might be delivered from our life? Can I use your boat so I can deliver my message? Jesus is saying, I want to use your life to deliver my message. When you go to work, I want to deliver, I want to use your life to deliver my message. In your community, in your neighborhood, I want to use your life to deliver my message. Can I use your life to deliver my message? This is the prayer. Not, 
the Holy Spirit will come and prepare the place. That we come to the end of ourselves, surrender ourselves, wash our nets. And then, Christ, would you dwell in us? And when you dwell in us, would you be at home? Be so comfortable that you can just stretch and move things around. Creating capacity so that you might fill me up with your presence. So that in my life, your message might go forth. I want my life to be so full of his glory, so full of his presence, that what overflows out of me is the message of Christ. What overflows out of me is the love of Christ. Fill me so much that your message flows out of me. It's like an old song we used to sing at our church. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. God, here's my cup, here's my life. Here's my life. Fill it up and make me whole. That's the prayer, Willow. That's the prayer. That Christ might dwell in us. Be at home in us. Stretch us so that he can fill us. So that we would be whole. And his message would come from a life that's been made whole by his presence. Third and finally. Third and finally. Here's the third one. Um, I pray. Number one. Holy Spirit would stage the heart. We'd surrender, wash our nets so that Christ may dwell. Number two, that Christ would dwell within us, that we give him our boat and he'd use our life for his message. Then third and finally, number three, I pray that you would be overwhelmed by his presence. I pray that he would overwhelm you with his presence. Paul concludes the prayer and he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Did you see the progression? He starts with what you asked or thought. So you want to talk about prayers. We're talking about praying, right? He says, I'm going to start with your prayer. Lord, I need. Lord, do it. I'm going to start with your Lord, do it. And then I'm going to go exceedingly and abundantly above what you asked and thought. I'm going to do that again. You didn't get it because you missed a great opportunity to shout right there. He says, your prayers that you're praying were, were the places where you want me to move. I'm not just going to answer your prayer. I'm going to go exceedingly and abundantly above what you prayed. Oh, there it is. Oh, oh y'all got it now. You got it now. So, so in other words, I want you to see God wants to do big things in your life. He wants to move in a mighty way. He wants to move in this church. He wants to move in your family. God wants to do big things. He wants to do big things. But watch this. He says, I'm going to do them according to the power that's working in you. Huh. So he says, I'm not just going to do them, but I'm doing them according to the power, the capacity that you have for me to work through you. In other words, I just don't want to do something through you. I want to do something in you. And I'm going to do through you according to what you've yielded for me to do in you. Willow, I'm going to do great things through you, 
but I dare not do something great through you and not do something great in you. Families, that, oh, that's worthy of a shout. Come on, listen. Because some of us get so excited about the big thing he's going to do through us, not recognizing that the bigness of that thing will be dictated according to the amount of capacity you allowed him to move within you. Y'all not getting it. Let me say it another way. Let me say it another way. Let me say it like that. Some of you, y'all got Whole Foods out here? Some of you want a Whole Foods blessing with a 7-Eleven capacity. <laughs> you, you, you go to 7-Eleven try to eat healthy. When was the last time you went to 7-Eleven? Can, can, can I get some kale sticks, please? Uh, you ain't getting nothing to no 7-Eleven. The best thing you're going to get is a Slurpee, some Cheetos, flaming, if preferable, uh, and... And a Kit Kat, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's not going to be. He says, but you go, to, you go to Whole Foods. Let me tell you something. True story. The walls in Whole Foods are made out of kale. <laughs> Next time you go to Whole Foods, go smell. Albert was right. Oh, my God, this is kale. It doesn't get more organic than that. Some of you, you want him to do big things through you, but he says, I want to do big things in you. I'm not going to have you talking to people about joy unless you allow me to do joy in you. I'm not going to have you talking about deliverance to other people until you allow me to do deliverance in you. So he says, I got to build capacity inside of you. I got to do it in you. So he goes to Simon. Paul prays it in Ephesians. Simon, Jesus displays it in Luke. Jesus looks at Simon, you've given me your life, you've given me your boat, you let me use my message in your boat. And he says, like, come on, let's go get some fish. The fisherman in Simon just rolls his eyes. Jesus, we've been out there all night. I ain't no fish out there. And Jesus says, yeah, no, come on, let's go get some fish. He's like, oh, I don't want to go back out there, I want to go home. There's no fish out there. I was fishing all night. Well, Jesus is basically trying to help him understand. What you don't understand is there's no scarcity in the water. It's not that there's no fish out there. There's no scarcity in the water. There was scarcity in your boat. Your problem was that it wasn't fish in the water. The problem was you didn't have Jesus in your boat. But now you got Jesus in your boat. And what you need to understand about Jesus is Jesus speaks fish. I speak fish. See, don't allow the trauma of your past to cause you to think small in the presence of a big God. You got to get the scarcity out of your boat. If we're going to do a series on prayer, you're going to start praying big prayers. You got to get the scarcity out of your boat. I had to struggle with this myself. I had so much scarcity in my boat. I was a pastor trying to dream big. God called me to plant a new church in California. The problem is, I had a traumatic past. I was pastoring in Mississippi. I pastored for five years in Mississippi, small town called Pelahatchee. I had seven members. Over five years, we grew it to 14 members. We doubled in size. <laughs> Praise God. Watch this, but here's the problem. Out of that 14, one of them was my wife, my mama, my sisters, my godmama, my cousin, my nephew. I took it personally when my mama couldn't come to church. I said, Mama, what you mean you can't come this Sunday? You the whole praise team, mama. So 
although God moved during that season, it traumatized me. So when I get ready to plant a church in Southern California, they say, Albert, for the first Sunday, how many chairs should we put out? And I'm thinking, I don't know, 25? Because the trauma of my past. I think I had 14 the last time I was here. They said, Albert, we got more than 25 on our volunteer team. We got over 100 people on our volunteer team. Albert, come on, how many should we put out? I said, well, maybe 100. That way the volunteers can just sit down. Uh, I said, Albert, come on, 200 chairs. And y'all, 200 chairs stretched my faith. I'm, I'm being honest. It stretched my faith. I, I, get, I had instructions. I said, hey, we're going to put down 200 chairs, but after praise and worship, if them chairs ain't full, y'all take them chairs out of there so that way it ain't looking anemic. Y'all take some of them out so that way we can have a folks sitting down. Y'all, first 10 minutes in our service, we had over 680 people show up for our first service. But here's the problem. I wasn't ready for the blessing. And so when you're not prepared for the blessing, the blessing becomes stressing. So I spent the first minutes of our first service stressed out. Why? Because we weren't prepared for all these people. And we was at this little community center, and the kid that was working the front desk, he was there. He was the only one on duty Sunday morning. He about to call the fire department and have us shut down because he scared us too many people. So I had to go snatch the phone from him, stick a Kit Kat in his mouth, and put on SpongeBob and say, you sit over there and watch these cartoons while we figure out this church over here. I wasn't ready. Let me tell you something, Willow. God wants to do big things in this place, but you better get ready for the blessing so you can be prepared for what God is about to do in this place. In your life, in your family, start getting ready for the blessing. Y'all, I had a moment with God where literally all my dreams, all the stuff I dreamed about, it had come true. I want to preach in front of a thousand people. God did that. I want to have hundreds of people baptized. God did that. I wanted to travel and tell the greatest story. And I traveled extensively. And I got to the point, I was in my mid-30s. I, I was scared I was about to die. I was like, Lord, I, all my dreams, they've all come true. Everything I've dreamed of as a little kid, I've been able to do. And i never forget, God looked at me so clearly. He says, well, now that we got yours out the way, let's start pursuing mine. I pray that God would overwhelm you so much so. I can see Simon. He goes back out in the water, but he goes out with an attitude. I've been fishing all night, Jesus. Okay, we're going to go out here. And I can just tell. I, I, I don't know if he did this, but in my mind, he just casted the nets with attitude. Okay, here we go. How long are we going to have to wait? Come on. And all of a sudden, the fish overwhelmed him. <laughs> he had so much fish, they couldn't even hold it all. They literally had to yell for help. Hey, we need help. We got so much fish, we can't even get it all. Help us. God's going to overwhelm you so much so you won't even be able to hold the whole blessing yourself. You're going to have to give it away because he's going to overwhelm you with his presence, with his glory, with his blessing. They bring in more fish than they've ever had before. And this is when it happens. Simon looks at Jesus. He's so dramatic. <laughs> Jesus, we repent. We're so sorry. Jesus, we're so sorry. And I love it. Jesus is like, bro, chill, relax, get up. 
That's how Jesus talks in my Bible. Um, Because Jesus says, don't worry, because I'm going to make you fishers of men. And Simon and the other fishers throw away their keys to the boat. The boats really didn't have keys, but it makes it more dramatic to say that they throw away their boats. They throw the keys to the boat, and they follow Jesus. Notice, they just had their biggest profitable day ever in the history of their business. They leave a whole side of fish stacked up. They just saw their most profitable day, but on their most profitable day, they still walked away from it all so that they might follow Jesus. That's the prayer for you. That's the prayer for you. My prayer is that you walk away from it all so that you might follow Jesus, that you may move from your way and go Yahweh, uh, that, you, that you'd follow his way. Right? The prayer, prayer is that you'd, that you'd step away and walk in his purpose. I pray that the Holy Spirit would stage your heart to get your heart ready that you'd surrender and wash your nets so that Christ might dwell in you. And as he dwells in you, that he would stretch you, that he'd fill you, that you'd give him your boat and say, Jesus, your message comes from my boat. And in that, that he'd overwhelm you so much so that you walk away from your way and follow his way for his glory. Amen.